today we have Barka Rani with us, and I'm super excited to talk to her because we are going to talk all about how to analyze growth stocks, which is something that I think in the beginning when I first was learning about investing seemed extremely confusing. So I'm really excited for today. Barka is a CFA charter holder and an investment analyst at Five Eye Research. She's also the chief editor of the ETF letter and a frequent contributor to Canadian Money Saber. So Barka, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're going to just jump right in, uh, kind of get started. So can you sit, tell us what is a growth stock and how does it differ from other types of stocks? Absolutely. So uh, we categorize growth stock as something that has a double digit top line growth uh, forecasted over the next, let's say, three to five years, typically in an industry which is also growing along with it. Uh, it could also be uh, in an industry which is somewhat mature, but we're trying to look at those disruptors in the market, those that are trying to gain a lot more market share. For growth stock, it's not necessary that their margins are correspondingly increasing. Really, what characterizes it as a growth stock is the top line sales growth over the next three to five years in double digits. Okay, so we're looking for something like shooting to the moon, essentially, with a growth stock kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so it seems like maybe a bit more risk, like risk reward. So how do we balance our portfolio between growth stocks and other types of investments? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a very personal question and that differs person by person. Uh, you are also taking into account their time in the market. You're also taking into account the overall portfolio apart from that growth aspect. For example, in, as a general template for someone who has a longer timeline in the market, it is a lot more suitable for them to be invested. A greater portion of their uh, overall portfolio to growth stocks and the weight can be, you know, shrinks down as your time in the market shrinks down. As you mentioned before, there are slightly higher risk than the rest of the market. They tend to have higher beta. They also tend to um, show a lot more volatility in the market and as the volatility swings. So just based on that, it makes more sense for someone who has a long horizon or less liquidity needs to stay invested in growth stocks and, and vice versa as, as you um, age or your portfolio needs change. Okay. So speaking about risks, because um, you kind of touched on it, in your opinion, what are some potential risks associated with investing in these growth stocks? Absolutely. So um, as I mentioned before, the margins expansion is not a big part of it. It's the whole focus is on top line sales growth, just making sure those contracts are in or their revenue is booked, even if it's not collected yet. So one of the biggest risks, and which, which was really, really evident this year, was uh, the change in interest rates. They tend to have, a, you know, they're accumulating a lot more debt. They're trying growing. So when interest rates go up and if they have a lot of debt, that increases their expenses overall, which really locks down not only just their valuation, but also their long term profit. Aspects if, if their expenses are going up. Some of the other challenges are, for example, if everyone is worried about recession, if their contracts are decreasing, if, if for example, if you think about the automation industry, if other industrial co companies are not looking into, uh, you know, yet spending, uh, such growth means that are re really focused on economy development, economy growth, they start seeing slowdowns. And that really gets, you know, priced into the valuation very, fairly, fairly quickly. And that was very, very evident this year. So we're going to talk about some market cycles in a few minutes, but just kind of sticking with like the, the negative side of things, but maybe that downside. What are some common mistakes someone should avoid when they're analyzing growth stocks looking to get in? So I, I wouldn't call this a mistake, but even I can get into it. It's sometimes you get too optimistic with it. Sometimes the bubble really recognize it when you're in it. For example, we had the marijuana, you know, shot up a couple of years back. And then we had the EV craze and, and, you know, renewables and so forth. So sometimes when you're in it, the thesis seems very, very solid, you know, rock down. This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to look like. It's Everything is perfect with this company. And we try and 
look over some underlying fundamental issues, some changes that we would have recognized either um, otherwise. And we try and look over those things. So yeah, definitely uh, one of the problems with such companies that we get too hung up on their thesis, whereas it's much more important, especially for growth stocks, to look at it very objectively. Of course, there are, again, those growth prospects there for sure, but you'd really need to look at what the fundamental change it could be and also analyze it. You don't need to question. It's it's not a matter of questioning yourself. It's the matter of questioning the stock that you're holding as to whether it really realizes the potential you'd expect it to. It to. What I'm sound, hearing is like kind of take emotion out of it, right? Like really stick to the numbers, which I think can be hard sometimes. Absolutely. Talked a little bit about analyzing. What are some steps that someone should take when analyzing a growth stocks? Like what numbers do we need? Where do we find that information? How do we get started? Yes, absolutely. I wish there was a one fit all template here. It, it really depends on what industry you're looking at, what the growth profile looks like and where it sits within the industry itself? Is it something that's uh, trying to be a cost leader in their market? Or is it coming with a new niche in the market that would have a completely different metric you'll be looking at? But generally try and look at some form of profitability, some form of track record behind it. So some of the clear metrics we look at is ROE numbers, we're looking at some uh, increasing margins. Definitely we do want the top line sales to be growing at a fast rate. But we also do want to see some operational efficiency coming through something changing along the lines to really strengthen the fundamentals of the of the company. There's only so much quantitative versus qualitative analysis you can do. So there's a few things mix and match you can you really want to do. So for a growth company, you really want to focus on the management team, understanding what incentives are, what, what their strategy is, what the tones are. Oftentimes, if you're just reading the transcripts from one quarter to the next, you really understand and pick up their tone. You're picking up how much transparency there is. You pick up if they're trying to be dismissive of questions or they're actually being transparent and say, okay, you know what, we have these issues and we are trying to look forward to them. So so these are the few tones and, and nitpicks you can pick along the way. And then again, some of the numbers you're looking at also are PE and valuation number to see if you're not being the one holding the bag. So for PE numbers, you're not paying, say, over 30, 40%. So we don't want to shy away from high PE ratios, but we do want to be able to justify it a little bit. Is it constellation software? Is it is it conglomerate? Is it is there a story behind it that really drives what I expect of this company to be valued over the next five years? So at the end of the day, it is what you own the stock for and then who else is going to buy you buy it from you for. So someone at the end of the table is going to buy it from you for that certain price. So you want to, you know, build up that story, build up that thesis, understand the industry that it is in, understand the company itself but also the operational efficiencies as well. So a lot of moving parts here and a lot of numbers you can look at and where you can look at those numbers from. There are also a lot of free sites you can access. There's also 5i Research, which also has a lot of metrics for a certain company pulled up. Look at um, Yahoo Finance, Coifin or Morningstar. But more specifically for understanding the management details and management specifics, you can look at their annual reports. You can read their filings on Cedar. There's also um, investor relations websites sometimes can also be fairly small, but also fairly big. So some do have an investor relation proper website set up and some don't. So they also do some uh, roadshows, some presentations to reflect what their what their understandings are. But you do have to be mindful that for them, it's kind of a marketing tool. So you have to analyze how much of it is really factual versus what they're forecasting or what they expect it to be. So a lot of moving parts here. Again, no no one, one answer for all and def- definitely for even different metrics 
metrics uh, for different industries, looking at different metrics. For some industries, the actual just net profit margin matters more. And for some, you're looking at raw materials and what what impact they have on the overall business. So it's it's fairly um, subjective in that case, but you can make it very objective when you're looking at your numbers and, and seeing if it matches your thesis. I just want to kind of back up. So you had mentioned PE ratios. Can you just kind of explain that like we're five years old sort of thing? And then what would be a good PE ratio for growth versus, I mean, a dividend or a different type of stock? Sure. So to a five-year-old, I would say for $1 of a company earning, how much are you paying for it? So you expect, for example, I would say if you want to pay $5 for $1 of company's earnings, you expect to get back breaking even in five years. So that kind of gives you a very basic underlying idea of what PE is. Of course, there's, there's a lot of different things behind it. There's the, the share outstanding, there's what price you're giving it at, and that price is being marketed in the market. Um, it, it's not a one price for all. It's it's a changing price every day. And then the earnings can also be manipulated in a way. So, uh, and then again, if the earnings are negative, what are you saying? The story differs then. So, but in a very simple way, it's what you are paying for that $1 of the company's earnings. Gotcha. Okay, good to know. And so a ratio you said about 30, 40% is good for a growth stock? It depends for if you're looking at a tech company from 20 to 35 sounds reasonable. If, if it is a solid company with good fundamentals, we would not shy away from valuations like that. But if you're looking at a, say, consumer staples or maybe a REIT even, the numbers can can go in a, at a lower range. It, it can be anywhere from, say, 12, 15 to 20, 25 percent times. Sorry. That's fair. There's a whole bunch of stocks out there. You talked about looking at different industries, things like that. How do you identify and start narrowing down your search? So if I'm going to look for growth stocks, I know I want to analyze them, but how do I even start? Where do I start as far as where to find them? Yes, absolutely. So more often than not, we get our growth stock either around us or in the news. So for example, I remember just a few years back, my friends were very excited about Aritzia and buying their jackets or their shirt. And me and being the equity analyst, I, I try and look at the stock of it. That's actually Peter Lynch his way and then he says you have to identify what what brand is growing up and and what um, ideas are popping up and then of course you have to tune into news as well and, and see if, if a company is you know really disrupting something okay we understand that this industry might be new but what are the other players in the market so that could be one way of coming up with things of course we do our own screeners we're running things we're identifying company that initiated the first dividend or you know the roe over the past three years has jumped up spiked up over the past three years we look at that or we're running a screener of a company that's had a, a double-digit um, revenue growth over the past three years. Of course, we do then have multiple filters through it, but that can give us a uh, a list of companies that, that we want to look at. Again, for us, because we're looking at growth companies, we tend to stick to a certain market cap that we're looking at. Uh, we try and stick with something less than $30 billion. And that, that is only specific to us because we're looking at those kinds of companies to report on or new ideas to come up with. And again, it depends on what, what other investors might be seeking. But that gives us a general, okay, this is... You're 20, 25, 30 names. And then we, you know, have more filters on. We were looking at profitability ratios. We're looking at PEG ratios, for example. So that's PE to growth ratio and, and uh, shrinking our um, our list that way. Okay. So we've got our list. We're kind of narrowing it down. And we talked a little bit about analysis, but I want to kind of bring it back to like our current market because I'm wondering how do you assess someone's growth or company's growth when it seems like everything's changing, nothing seems predictable. I mean, we're following the news and everyone's like, mortgage rates are going up forever. Just kidding. Now they're coming back down. Interest rates, it's going to stay, it's going to hold. This unpredictability, how do you kind of like get through the noise? Yes, absolutely. So for something like that, it is, um, again, this can sound very subjective and, and very broad, but that, that's the nature of the market. So you are trying to look at and identify sensitivity of those moving elements to the company that you're looking at. So you definitely don't want a 
growth stock that's very high debt when times like this where it can drastically shift your overall thesis you also don't want to look at a growth stock which has um, you know really flaky customer base or 20 to 30 percent coming from one single customer so we do want to see a diversified customer base from the company that we're looking at also you really want to see what the actual products and services that are being offered if that's something you as an investor really imagine that to be a necessity or a continual requirement for example if you're looking at tech stocks we like to see what the recurring revenues percentage are is that something that will continue on or what their contract life like so it's, again that's very tied up to the company that you're looking at but you do want to see if the cash flow their top line sales or something that they, they can maintain if it's very wonky and if, again I, I can say it all I want but there are companies that I have liked before that has drastically changed over the past year and no one can get it 100% right but you do want to understand exactly what the business is doing oftentimes um, especially when I started off you know you read the company does this is it okay wow this sounds amazing but I should put myself in those shoes and be like okay why would I buy this product or this service and and how would that demand continue on of course some of the good things you can also do is read industry reports and see if there's anything changing for example McKinsey or Deloitte they they put out free industry reports highlighting few upgrades or changes in the industry overall so it gives you when you're just reading about the one company you get too involved in it it seems too rosy it seems like the best company there is they're doing everything they can and it's going to be the best but when you look at the industry report it makes you put up the whole bigger picture and see where this company would really fit in there if the overall industry is shifting even though your company is doing the best things it's fundamentally strong the management is doing the right thing they might be increasing the dividends whatnot but the overall industry is changing direction or or shifting towards something else you do want to be on top of that of course you should not you do not want to marry the stock it's something you want to date uh, and, and get the get the best return out of it Okay, so that brings me to my next question. This is a great lead up. How do you determine an appropriate kind of entry buy point and exit point? Because I'm assuming you want to know that in advance, right? That kind of takes the emotion out being like, I'm going to buy for this. I'm on a, when it hits this, I'm ready to kind of sell or whatever. How do you kind of determine that when you're looking at growth stocks? Sure, absolutely. So there could be two points to this. So we don't go by target price, but we we can lean to target valuation, so to speak. You do want to buy at something, say, again, I'm sticking to tech. We do have a bias towards tech. But say, for example, you're sticking to something with 13 to 15 times and then you think about it. Okay, this is what my valuation looks like. But at this point, it's going to be a bit too much to justify this company is doing. For example, if the company is only growing, say, 20% over the next three years and then shrinking over forward on that, people might say, I am not willing to pay more than 35 times on this. It just might not make sense to someone that I'm paying 35 times for $1 of earnings when the sales are expected to slow down over the three to five years. So a shift like this where you say, okay, this is the valuation I would like it at. And this is the valuation. It does not make sense to me. That's where you want to, you know, buy and sell. Another thing you want to do is again, last year we had valuations jump up drastically and then they've come down so much this year. So do you want to see the fundamental shift in a business? The moment you see, I, I shouldn't say the moment, but giving it a few quarters, if you see a fundamental shift in it, if you see, you know, some contracts not materializing, if you see the management being dismissive, or if you see one of the management leaving suddenly, you know, things like that happen and they have happened this year, but you see that fundamental or the internal trust in it being shaken and and realizing that the fundamental has shifted and then it doesn't make sense for that valuation that you paid it at and that would be the point where you decide to leave leave the position and this is very very much so for this year for us as well okay so i have kind of two questions that kind of come from that based on what you're saying so the last big crash was 2008 there are stocks that we know are currently valued as the same as they were in 2008 so what do you think what is that signaling to us as investors yes absolutely so i i would like to put it this way so the 
growth stocks that we look at generally tend to improve the valuation. And if the fundamentals are strong and the business has been overall strengthened over the past year, there's not much to say that it would go back to those valuations that they were 2008 levels. And again, this is a fairly long timeline. If we were talking three years back, again, there's like, I would say 80 to 90% of our companies that are back into that same average. Sometimes when you're writing a blurb on our valuation section, we don't even want to pick or look at the historic valuation because what are we going to say for 80% of the names? Oh, they're same at the three-year average. Like there's no benefit of that valuation anymore. But interestingly, some of the companies that I was looking at are sort of signaling the value names that are back to that. Um, I'm seeing some mean reversion in that. Again, don't quote me on this. This is not a final statement, but some of the companies, for example, came across are, are some of the top five banks are fairly close to our 2008 uh, valuation range. Again, I'm just looking at the multiples here, not the share price. And then we had um, surprisingly Apple in that list as well. And there's Go Easy. So again, this list, of course, it, it gives you very fairly diverse set of companies that you're looking at that are trading back to their 2008 valuation. Again, for the five banks, I know you would say over the past week, it kind of makes sense that they're back, but they're still in a close range to them even before the last week. So again, we're looking at a lot more value stocks coming to back to that valuation, but growth is, is still very, very much higher up. And for Apple, I would say post 2008 and you know 2019, 2020 were the best years. So maybe maybe it's just slowing down overall. And then for GoEasy, there's economic fundamentals that are shifting. It's, it's a consumer lending business. So again, it's for, for the different types of businesses that we're looking at, they are at that range for a reason. If you're looking at companies like Constellation or Canaxis or even some utilities, they're they're higher up. They're given a lot more back as well. And they're still higher up in valuation. So speaking about those valuations, and this was my second question, but can a company manipulate the valuations of their stocks and the multiples? And how do they do that? Like, is that something we need to be aware of? Yes, yes, absolutely. And and uh, especially for growth stocks, when that can be fairly volatile compared to the CEO of Apple cannot say something that would drastically change the share price because someone else would catch it. But for growth stocks or, or smaller companies, there are a few things they can do. For example, they can do recognition time. That's not counting manipulation. They're recognizing something in a quarter previously than after. And that way they're beating the market, um, market expectations. And that has happened with a few of our companies. So, and then the next two quarters are lackluster. It is only because their incentives for the management team is to have those short-term share rally. Uh, and that's how their compensation is derived. Again, as I, it's going back to the previous points I mentioned, management team is really important to not only know what their uh, incentives and, and you know drive for it is, but also understanding what their compensation looks like, how much of it is coming from short-term stock performance versus long-term. A few other things they can do is raising debt and then doing share buyback. So it kind of makes sense for some companies, but more often than not, it can also to signal a form of manipulation where they're saying, okay, our multiples are doing so and so and our earnings are going up or shares, but not recognizing or not signaling that their share price is also going up, going down. So that can be, um, you know, a 50-50. Sometimes it's, it's really good for um, the overall cost of capital, but sometimes it can also signal something else in the in the market. You talked about like the 2008 crash. There's lots of talk right now, noise. Are we going into a recession? Things like that. Can you talk a little bit about the economic cycle and what that means for investors? Of course, yeah. 
our economy goes through peaks and troughs. It, it's a cycle that it goes through. And I would talk about the down part now. We're in a recession if we have two quarters in negative GDP, so declining GDP, which technically we've already had, but then we changed the definition of recession. We wouldn't know until we're out of it, but what it means for growth stocks is that when we're at a peak and then we start declining, that is affecting the growth trajectory for those growth stocks. So they are really doing the best when we at, at a steeper and, and they're you know growing multiples of what the what the economy is growing at. And at this stage, we're not at a downside, the mean, right when it hits the very bottom and then it starts, you know, even if we see inflation coming down or interest rates, you know, just peaking and then starting to come down or even staying at what the level is, it signals to people that, okay, you know, the economy is past its, its worst time, it's doing okay now or even slightly better. That's when more orders start coming in. That's where people start planning for more growth. That's when people start about thinking about expansion. And that's where the steepest curve for growth companies is. Okay, so this, I think you kind of touched on this, but I often see like when things start to come down, people start to panic, sell, you know, things like that. What are some benefits of staying invested in that down market? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually did a presentation on this a few days back. Our best days, the past 10 days come within two weeks of a down market. So if you miss out on those, sometimes your return over the next 10 years, literally half. If you're not invested for those worst days and the 10 days past it, you really miss out on a, on a significant rally. The point to mention here is that if you're selling at a low point, you're realizing your losses, which can, you know, sometimes be beneficial for tax purposes, but also not beneficial because you have to catch up when it comes to, you know, missing out on that on that slight rally, even for, you know, a few days. So it's just a matter of a few days where you actually miss out on the biggest rally. And we've seen that this year, we've had swings of about 5% fairly often this year, making it making you realize how important it is just to invest over the long run. So just stay the course. I don't even look at my investments. I put it in and I just let it roll. I think that helps. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that is that is the way to go. It is basically put, put in your portfolio, shut the book and, and look at it, you know, two years down the road, three years down the road. And when I, whenever I said about changing fundamentals, it really becomes evident two years, three years down the road. It's not evident when you're looking at it quarter to quarter, even if, you know, the contracts don't come in or something changed or the growth trajectory changes. It really becomes evident, you know, one year, two years down the road rather than quarter to quarter. And if you're looking at it every day, you're going to have moments of volatility every single day. If you turn on to CNB, they'll have someone talking about how this is the worst crash in 20 years of the history or the best years in 20 years of the history and no one has that crystal ball if, if someone did they would they wouldn't be on cnbc so yeah there's going to be fears and worries and the more you turn into news and updates the more worrisome you would be and i had this table where i highlighted the bad headline or the bad fear of that year and even when i went back to past 20 years there's a fear for every year there's you know last year was covid the year before you know it was inflation and then the year before it was rising interest rates in canada and the year before it was trump being elected so every year there is a fear and every year would seem like the year you know what sell and let's get out sell and let's get out but then the market still really performed really really well for for 2019-2020 absolutely so i just have a couple last questions for us what is the number Number one thing, in your opinion, is there a number one thing that someone should know about growth stocks? Okay, I wouldn't call number one thing. Uh, there are multiple things. Again, good story. We want to know what the story of the business is. And if that seems reliable, something easy to understand. Also something that can, you know, you can, it's intuitive to understand. You can see that there's a growth directory through it. You can see that there are moments of operational efficiency possibilities, organic and organic growth. There, There is some strength to that overall business model. Not ju you just 
just don't want to know all the numbers are looking good. You don't want to know all the balance sheet is well done, management, you know, went to work in school, whatever. You do want to know the basic fundamental story. You do want to know what's a driving force going to be for this, for this particular company. Because if you believe in it and if you are paying so-and-so amount for that $1 of earning down the road, you do want to justify it for someone else to buy it from you at a higher valuation. So I think that's, that's very, very important. Again, there are some metrics you do want to focus on for sure. There's management team you have to look at. There's ROE numbers you want to look at. And then the growth forecast. If it's too optimistic and too good to be true, then it probably is. Okay. So those are some really good tips and some things to look into. So if someone has watched this and they're just like, okay, I'm ready to take this step. I'm ready to kind of analyze and invest in growth stocks. What is something they can do today to kind of get started? I would direct you to, um, and this is shameless marketing here, uh, to 5i Research. We are a DIY investors. That's what we cater to. It, it's a fairly cheap subscription. Uh, you get access to our reports on you know small to mid-cap Canadian names. We have a coverage of about 60 to 70 names that we frequently update. You also get credits to ask questions and those questions could vary from any anything to your portfolio to take commodities or futures markets. It's a very broad. You don't have to ask me about just a particular stock. You can ask me about anything uh, and you get answers based on that. Again, the answers are filtered and edited by Peter Hudson, who was a ex-chairman at Sprott Asset Management. So fairly a seasoned professional keeping on top of uh, on news as well as on analysts. Yeah, it also gives you access to all the questions that have been answered, that have been guided before. We also have model portfolios. You have balance, equity, um, income, and growth. And again, with that growth as well, so you can come up with, uh, we often have new ideas that we're generating in those model portfolios and do have significantly good results. Of course, not for this year so far, but over the long run, we, we do see a lot more ideas and a lot more uh, you know, diversification and a lot more of a how we're changing the weights on them and what's the rationale, the, tra- uh, the trade rationale behind it and how we're not just maintaining those positions, sometimes adding, sometimes decreasing. That also gives you an idea of how you should be looking at your portfolios. Of course, this is the way you can, you can get ideas and, and newer names to do a due diligence on. And that's what we really encourage people. So if you're coming to us for a question and we say yes or no, it makes sense, doesn't make sense. It, it's still, we do want you to go and do the research, but we do, we have set a platform to get you off the ground, get you started somewhere and, and point you to that direction. Awesome. Well, thanks, Barka. I definitely want to thank you for your time. Uh, this has been very informative. If you want to connect with Barka, you can follow her on her Twitter. There is a link here near her video. And if you're ready to invest in growth stocks or any individual stocks, 5i Research is a great resource for objective and independent information. And I want to thank again, Barka, for your time. Thank you. Thank you.